G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Coming up today on The Story. I'm a mate at school, good old Nambour High School. Uh, a lot of mates back in the 80s became Christians around year 12 through a scripture union and stuff like that. And I just saw the change in some of my friends. I thought, oh, this is like, what have you got? I, I just want some of that. And, and that's sort of how I became a Christian through my mates. The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. A musical one for you today with Andy Chapman. As you just heard, his journey of faith began when he was in high school. And it's a journey that has taken him on a variety of adventures and to various locations, like Vanuatu. We'll hear about his life, faith and music today on The Story. Andy Chapman is chatting with Shelley Scullin. I'm in misery. He's a musician and he's a missionary. Andy, I guess you just couldn't choose between the two? Yeah, musicianary. So we started out with music and we ended up with missions and we can't separate the two, so we just keep doing it. I think that's really the best way to be, though, isn't it? And I guess really when you talk to most Christian musicians, they would have that similar heart. Yeah, that's it. Like, There's plenty of uh, gospel heroes that have gone, gone before us that are, just have a mission heart. And, yeah. and I think, well, really, coming from a wire background, every Christian is a missionary, and you've just got to find your field and just go for it, I reckon. Yeah, and you really have found your field. Let's go back to where it all began. You had a fairly normal upbringing uh, in Australia on a farm, I believe. Oh, we, yeah, we sort of born and raised in Stanthorpe for a while, down on the Granite Belt and uh, amongst the apples and things, and then came up to the Sunshine Coast where my my dad had links with uh, where he had his teenage years and the sunny coast was, yeah, way simpler back then and down the beach and stuff and burning sugar cane and, and playing soccer in a local club at Woombai and near the Big Pineapple. It was a great upbringing. And, uh, yeah, we really enjoyed it. Our folks, uh, our first taste of the international, our folks went and lived in Sri Lanka for a couple of years. Uh, and, uh, yeah, as a, as a young man, we went and travelled there and saw how the rest of the you know, amazing other side of the, the coin, how other people live. It's just incredible. So what changed in you then when you saw how those other people live? It really opened our eyes as uh, young fellas and um, as a like a 15-year-old, how other people lived and how hard and difficult life really was for a lot of people, millions of people. Uh, just sort of, boing, you know, the light went on that, I've got a really blessed life back here in Australia. We were growing up and going to school and stuff, and um, it really it helped me appreciate my country and our values, and uh, you know how really blessed we are. How the roads are great, and we have a great healthcare and education and stuff. And and as a non-Christian, it just really opened my eyes, and I think it started me on a journey of searching for you know the big questions: why, why poverty, and uh, 
and then I noticed a lot of Christian agencies were involved working with the poor, and, I, and that was another big question for me: is hey, what's with that? You know. So, what was it that um, made you decide to become a Christian then? Oh, my mates at school, good old Nambour High School. Uh, a lot of mates back in the eighties became Christians around year twelve through a Scripture Union. Uh, camps and stuff like that and good old ICF into school Christian fellowship and I just saw the change in some of my friends I thought oh it's, it's like what have you got I, I just want some of that and, and that's sort of how I became a Christian through my mates That's awesome and it's something I guess for teenagers that are listening at the moment to know that you really can make an impact on other people and I guess you're eternally grateful to your mates for sharing with you and how you've now gone on to impact uh, hundreds of thousands of other lives uh, for the kingdom as well. Andy, you've just told us about how you became a Christian when you were a teenager, largely thanks to your peers. Uh, You then went on to get involved in YWAM. Yeah, years later... um we actually met Lauren Cunningham. He came to the uh, founder of YWAM. We met him and just got this sort of bug for missions. Uh, we sort of grew up visiting my folks overseas, and that gave me a, an international flavour and a hunger for, for that sort of thing. And as soon as I, uh, we got married, my wife and I basically for our anniversary went on a, on a mission, and that was... Hang on, no, that was the second honey. That was the second year, but our our first international trip was a mission, and ever since we've been taking our family to the mission field in, in uh, Thailand and um, Fiji, Vanuatu, Solomon Islands, and around bits and pieces around the country here as well. And yeah, we've just we've just been hooked. <laughs> or maybe God hooked you actually. Yeah, and eventually we got our act together and said, yeah, let's do a, a discipleship training school for six months. We'll just give six months to God and, and go for it. And, and by that stage, we're in our 30s and we had our three children from 13 down to uh, about a two-year-old. And our outreach was outrageous. We came down here on the Sunshine Coast, did our training, and then we're off for two months. We spent about uh, 17 days in Bali ministering to the, the youth there playing football and surfing and stuff, and then off to Sri Lanka for a couple of weeks and then into Kenya and Uganda for our outreach in, in Africa and um, dragging our family halfway around the world. It was just awesome. It was probably the hardest thing we did as a family, but one of the best things we've ever done. It was so cool. Yeah, pretty amazing experiences for everyone. And as you say about how those kind of experiences impacted you as a child, I can only imagine the impact that it's had on your own kids as well in terms of you know being grateful for what they've got and, and, and yeah. so much. Uh, what have you seen? How, how has it impacted your family? I think uh, and hope and pray that they've got a, a greater um, spirit of gratefulness and thankfulness for what they've got. Uh, we're so blessed in this country uh, just coming back from the Pacific Islands, serving for about four and a half years there and, and coming back and appreciating the good roads that we have and great health care and education. I've said it before, but it, I, I think we really, every teenager, my dad used to say every teenager needs to go and visit Asia or an impoverished nation to just to really appreciate what we've got here. Um, and our next door neighbours are only two and a half hours away in New Caledonia, Vanuatu, from Brisbane. Mm. Um, we got really close neighbours that are, you know, and <laughs> they're some of the happiest people in the world. We've 
we've slept on floors and, and all sorts of stuff and people have given us food where you think uh, they've gone to kill the chook because that's all the food they had and um, just really felt blessed to be in the company of, of real humble uh, and poor people but not poor in spirit. I mean, they're really happy and thankful to God for what they have and it just opens your eyes, eh? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, you don't really know until you go and you see the sights and you smell the smells and you taste that chook <laughs> uh, yeah, in that like, setting. <laughs> that's the way, yeah. yeah. You're listening to The Story. Today we're hearing from Andy Chapman. He's sharing about his life and how he combines making music with missionary trips. We'll be back with more of his adventures when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're continuing with Shelley Scowen's conversation with musician and missionary Andy Chapman. Next, we'll hear about his time in Vanuatu. I was a principal at a school there for in a community Christian school in, in Port Villa. We had six schools on the run, and uh, I used to go and uh, tutor the teachers and encourage the staff, and basically my job was to disciple the staff, and they can disciple the kids. Uh, and it was such an awesome ministry, because every day we'd have kids come from broken families and uh, around the slums in Port Villa, and, and just be blessed by the teachers, and loved and cared for, and encouraged and taught the ways of the Bible and the ways of Jesus, and we had such good response from um, families and communities for our, you know, just for, for ministering to these kids. Uh, so, that, yeah, that was probably the highlight of my professional career as a teacher, is, uh, being a, um, a principal for that school. Um, but we had moved to Vanuatu with YWAM in 2008, 2000 and 2007 and eight, and uh, served there amongst youth ministry and stuff, and especially a lot of music, a lot of um, we've written a lot of music and and I'm bent for reggae now so <laughs> some of my new music is just I love it uh, we're into reggae and island style music yeah, I was um, going to say is it as a result of being uh, in the islands there? oh yeah I mean string bands first which is sort of a country swing thing and it's really unique to Vanuatu just, but every song sort of sounds the same after a while but, mm. And Vanuatu is blaring at you every day from the buses and the and the shops and and uh, the locals walking around with boom boxes and stuff and and it was just a genre that we really uh, got hold of because uh, being a drummer and, and loving reggae anyway it just sort of reemphasised that so that's what the result came from uh, my new CD No Ordinary Day is basically island tracks a couple of reggae tracks and I call and one of them called them. Um, Fenuatu, which is a Hawaiian track in Bislama, a local language, and the, the last track's Island Country. So all the all the sort of genre that the island is like, and I thought, ah, oh, I'm just doing this for the Melanesians, you know. I guess when people think of Vanuatu, they think of it as being the idyllic place to go for a holiday, and we're seeing those amazing kind of postcard images in our head whenever you mention Vanuatu. What's it actually like living there? 
That's awesome. We loved it, but um, friends of ours would say straight away, uh, just lose your watch. These are islanders <laughs> telling us, like, yeah, man, lose your watch. Because the famous saying in Vanuatu is, uh, maybe tomorrow, you know, you might <laughs> you might get that delivery you, you've been wanting from the hardware store tomorrow, or <laughs> we might have eggs in the shop tomorrow, so come back tomorrow. You know, it's, it, you just got to relax. It's forced to relax. And we we sort of knew, we expected that from our, our visits from Fiji, but Vanuatu, I think it's more so. And I've got this theory, the closer you get to the equator, the slower people move and the slower life is. <laughs> it's just too hot, man. you just got to just relax. It's just the way of life there, you know, Ireland style. I like your thinking, and it's true. We really do. I think here in Australia, while we have all these luxuries and, like you say, so much to be grateful for, I yeah. think we don't have enough time to be grateful for it because we're too busy rushing around and trying to, I don't know, pack as much as we can into our lives. Yep. You do have a song on your new CD, No Ordinary Day, called Trouble in Paradise. Is that a bit about um, you know, some of the trouble that you might have experienced in Vanuatu? Yeah. If you live anywhere long enough, the paradise tag sort of falls away after a while. And, and we knew we were in paradise. It is a beautiful country. The people are beautiful and happy and hospitable and friendly. Um, but as, as you live anywhere for long enough, you, you'll find there's just the problem with, you know, the problems you have everywhere in the world. Um, problems with, basically, we're selfish beings and we want our own way. And, and, and that can get really ugly. And you know, that can result in, in, um, domestic violence and, and all sorts of wicked stuff happening. And, yeah, and that was, uh, um, this song is a result of that and, and just pointing out that, yeah, it's beautiful and paradidic, I call it, but the dark side is, uh, you know, sin is sin. And we have this issue with um, sinful nature and it, and it plays itself out when we don't put the antidote of Jesus in there. It just, it just yeah, manifests. And that's what the song's about. All right, well, let's have a listen. This is Andy Chapman with Trouble in Paradise. We got trouble. So what we gonna do? And what's the solution? We need to make a change, a social a revolution. We need to get back to our creator. Renew our minds. And behavior no more Trouble in paradise oh, 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 oh. And everything seems so nice oh, 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 oh. We got trouble in paradise oh, 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 oh. All that scandal and the vice That's the song Trouble in Paradise by our guest today, Andy Chapman. We'll hear more of his music in just a little bit, but first, we're going to find out about his experiences handing out Bibles in Vanuatu as he continues to combine music and missions. Our last trip was September, October, um, where we delivered about, we lost camp, it was nearly 900 Bibles to about three or four islands, uh, mostly in the isolated north in the Banks Group to Gawa and Vanuatu. That was our second trip north. Uh, to distribute Bibles. And, and the last trip we did, we thought, how are we going to get these Bibles to the rest of the people up here? 
and we prayed about it and thought about it and we thought, oh, we've just got to come back and, and just bite the bullet. And so we, um, we thought, we need a boat, we need a ship to actually sail these Bibles right around this island and to some of the other islands. So we're praying about that and then and it was amazing how stuff just fell together. We met these guys through mutual friends uh, over the email and they said, oh, we're sailing over. I said, you're joking. You reckon you can carry some Bibles? Yeah, we're going north. And so we met them. We flew up to the north and met them on the ship and we uh, had Bibles shipped up and stuff and just loaded this ship full and went right around the first island and then right around the second island and delivered more Bibles. And I mean, you just couldn't orchestrate that sort of stuff. It was just amazing how God just put people together to do this. It was really cool. That's amazing. And, yeah, God does have a habit of doing these kinds of things. Once he uh, gives you the calling to do it, he just makes everything fall into place. Yeah. What sticks out to you the most from that trip? Is there a particular time that you handed over a Bible and you just were just completely blown away? Yeah, some of the thank you speeches, which we, which you usually get from a leader, like you'll get a chief who, who says thank you very formally and things like that. But then up comes... One of the mothers, uh, just out of the blue, and, and says, "Can I say something?" And, and basically, in, in front of a huge congregation of people, says, "We're really blessed, and thank you so much for these free Bislama Bibles in our trade language that we can read and understand." Because, and just so thankful, I thought, "Oh man, that that's so worth it. That's so worth the time and the effort and the money it took to get here to deliver a Bible in in a language that she can understand." And, and then have that response, like, just really cool. What yeah. is the church like there? I mean, by the sounds of it, it sounds like they don't have ready access to Bibles. Yeah, or well, of course, the more isolated you get, the harder it is to obtain uh, good Christian resources, including uh, simple English Bibles or Bislamic Bibles. And it's more expensive to get them there anyway. So the church really relies on or the traditional churches rely on the pastors and the leaders to actually direct the, the people. And um, some people can't read, some people only speak in language, like there'll be a local language and that's it. And so for the people who can read Bislama, which is the local pidgin English, uh, in their own language, they, they're just it's just enriching their faith in God because they're reading it for themselves and getting personal revelation of, from the Word of God about how to live their lives and how to love their 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 wives and children and and, and how to do community. It's and it's so eye opening and it's really cool. Literally, the word of God is transforming that nation because we're getting it into the hands of people who are hungry and they're eating it and they're consuming it and they're sharing it and then they're living it. It's so cool, really good. And the word of God is stronger and more powerful than any two-edged sword and yeah. it never returns to him void. So just getting the word of God into people's hands is really what makes the difference. Yeah, it's transformational. Like it says in Romans, be renewed by the uh, transformation of your mind. Like, And it does. It transforms people and then it transforms families and communities and then nations. It's, it's just um, a supernatural book. The Word of God is amazing. It is. Don't wait for the read. <laughs> My friends used to say, Bible Society guys used to say, read the book, don't wait for the movie, man. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty true. One of the things you were encouraging uh, the leaders and all the people over there to do was to live kingdom style. What do you mean yeah. by that, living kingdom style? Well, there's island style, there's western style, 
we sort of down and had a bit in Australia where you just work to live and live live to work and pay off the mortgages and get this, get that, get that. Or over there where it's more custom style or tradition and I'll follow, follow traditions and you, this is the way we've done it for since the first white missionaries, so we're just going to mm. keep on doing it this way. Yeah. Even though it's dead boring, everyone's falling asleep. But kingdom style is, is the Jesus style, which, which fits into any culture. Jesus is amazing. He fits in every culture. There's a space for Jesus in every culture and his way. Um, and, and basically, uh, I, I think island style and island culture is really close it, it's getting close to kingdom culture, but it's it's not quite there because there's the abuse of power amongst chiefs and elders and and church leaders and stuff, which which can happen in in Western cultures, but uh, more so over there because if um, if you're a person in the village, you really honour and respect the chief and obey the chief. So if you've got a bent chief, you've got a bent village. If you if you've got a uh, a believing chief, you've got a believing village. So if you win the chief, you win the village. And I've met lots of chiefs and, and um, lots of leaders and lots of pastors where you can really encourage them to, to recognize this, the significance of their role and that they're shepherding their people and really love God and love their people and not lord it over them. But And a lot of them get it. A lot of them are doing that, but you get the odd ones that are, you know, really need to encourage to love, just put on love and love people and love God. Mm, that's awesome, and I think a real challenge for us too to live kingdom style and not, you know, our parents' style or our church's style or anyone else's mm. style, but live, you know, God's style and live kingdom style. I, I love that challenge. Yeah, we are going to play another song from your album, No Ordinary Day. Can you tell us about this song, Vanuatu? This song's in Bislama, which is a local pidgin trade language. It links all the islands together pretty opposite to Trouble in Paradise. It's just really appreciating and, and being thankful for being in the islands of Vanuatu and the lovely people and experiences that we've had with and amazing friendships that we have with people. Um, and I just encourage you, if you want to visit Paradise, just go to Vanuatu and you'll be blessed. It's just an amazing place. All right, let's have a listen. This is Vanuatu by Andy Chapman.
look out for the album. It's called No Ordinary Day, and uh, you'll see them all around uh, southeast Queensland doing gigs here, there, and everywhere. So, Andy, all the best with it. Thanks, Shelley, and thanks for the time. And, uh, guys, we hope to get this music out into the um, Melanesian nations too. Um, I have to call myself missionary to the nations now, not just Melanesia. But our goal was to get to every Melanesian nation, and we've been to Solomons and Fiji and, and Oahu, and uh, we've got PNG and West Papua and New Caledonia to get to yet. Sounds great. You can find out more at andychapmanmusic.com or at uh, facebook.com slash andychapmanmusic. That was Shelley Scullin chatting with musicianary Andy Chapman. Great to hear his story and the impact his unique blend of music and missions is having in the Pacific Islands, as well as back here in Australia. He is really doing some great work. Once again, his website is andychapmanmusic.com. Well, thanks for joining us. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. If I had left prior to that 18-month period, I would have been leaving prematurely and for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. I needed that period of being unsettled to just actually say, yes, I can release this because it was my baby, it had grown and it was becoming a teenager at this stage. Then a role became available at Focus on the Family. Brett Ryan is the CEO for Focus on the Family Australia, but before that he was a critical care nurse and a children's pastor. How do all these pieces fit together? We'll find out his story next time. The story. story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.